arguably one of the most familiar parables um, that there is. And parents, I do encourage you to sit down and read this with your kids and make the pretty obvious connections with the uh, Runaway Bunny song. And I have to, it, I, I used to choke up reading that song with my, or reading that book with my kids. So it's one of my favorites. So here is, uh, if you would, uh, the biblical version of the Runaway Bunny. Um, listen to the word of God. Then Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in desolate living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country. And he began to be in need. So he went out and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating and fed the pigs, but no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. And then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and get the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate for this son of mine who was dead is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out, and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, listen, for these years I have been working like a slave for you, and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then his father said to him, Son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead, has come to life. He was lost and has been found. May God bless the hearing and reading of his holy word. Let us pray. 
Lord, open up our eyes and our hearts that through your word proclaimed, we may encounter you, the living word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You need to be cautious how you read your Bible. Particularly, you need to be careful with the editorial notes if you have a study Bible in particular. And they do have some limited benefit, but you have to be careful. I was reading, leading a Bible study years ago, and someone said, but it says this in the Bible. And I said, you know, I, I don't think it does. I, I can't, I mean, I, I don't, you know, I don't claim that I have everything in the Bible memorized, but that doesn't sound right to me at all. And the guy insisted, it absolutely is in my Bible. I said, okay, well, if you find it, let, let me, you know, show it, share it with all of us. Well, we got done with the study and he finally, you know, he wasn't paying attention, he was looking. He finally came up afterwards and said, see, here it is. It was an editorial note in the bottom by a very questionable commentator. <laughs> so see, it's in the Bible, it must be true. Well, that wasn't the Bible, that was someone's, someone's uh, less than inspired <laughs> uh, wrong interpretation of that text. And even headings can mislead you because the, heading, the headings are not in the Bible. These headings are added by the translators. For instance, today's parable, what is it universally known as? The what? The prodigal son, right? Now, I think you could argue that the parable was really about the father. And I think that is one of the central, if not central, things were to learn from the parable. And again, I want, I want to mention the word about the parenthood of God that was in the reading. Again, it's, it's you know, God is not male. I mean, the, the, the term father is an important one because it's relational, right? The idea that God is, is the good parent. And regardless of what earthly parents are like, everything and more that we, that we need comes from this loving being. So I, I'm, I know that there's problems with it, but I, but I think it's important that we don't make God any more distant than we already do. God's not an it, right? And so that's part of this. And, and so this idea of imagery of God as mother, is, it's not very prominent in the Bible, but it's an appropriate, an appropriate way to talk about God as well as we, as we heard in the passage read earlier. Now, this parable follows two other parables that are about lost things. A lost coin, the famous lost sheep parable. And this parable, too, is about being lost. But there's more lost here than the prodigal. So this parable really should be named the parable of the two brothers. Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. What is he really saying here? How do you get your inheritance? Dad, I want you to be as dead to me. Remember, this is an agrarian society. There wasn't money in the banks. So what did the father have to do in a traditional uh, Mid-Eastern village to give this young man his share. 
they had to have a public auction. And in a public auction, and you're still alive, everybody knows that something rather shameful is happening here. So not only does this son break his father's heart, I wish you just as well should be dead to me. That's all you are. I'm, I'm, I can't wait any longer for the, the payday. But in a village, the villages are made up of your kids' people, right? So the people that this man saw every day, the people that he grew up with, his cousins, his brothers, and sisters, his nephews and nieces, all would have known the shameful dishonoring of the younger son. One of the hardest things you can do is to watch someone you love make self-defeating decisions. It is the wonderful, horrible thing about human freedoms. And as a parent, we've all had those moments where the hate, the self-hate, the anxiety, the pain of this world gets spewed out. And sometimes you're the wrong person at the right place. My guys were always really respectful to me, but I remember one time uh, getting a drunken um, telling off by one of my sons. And for years I saved the five page apology note that he wrote two days later. You know, it wasn't fun being on the end of his, you know, words, but I knew it was his own self-loathing. I think it was as painful to get that letter because the self-hate had been turned on himself again. And he still was having trouble accepting the forgiveness that I offered him. That's what it must be like to be God every day. That is the constant state God is in. Constantly watching us do hateful and self-destructive things. Well, why doesn't God stop these things? Well, that's just not the way it's set up. So God watches us curse him, right? We curse him so casually, right? Right? And even worse, God watches with a broken heart as we hurt ourselves and hurt each other. He squandered his property in desolate living. Boy, I tell you, preachers have had fun with that phrase. <laughs> Sometimes I think sermons talk a little bit more about what's going on in their heads right, than what happens, because I've heard some very imaginative preaching about all the bad things he did, which made me really worried about the one talking about it. Um, but everything goes away, right? The party has to end eventually. And what a, in a very short phrase, what an amazing picture of hitting bottom. This young Jewish kid has a job feeding pigs. And he's starving to death as well. By the way, what happens if you, I don't know, those pods would not have helped him, right? You can't digest them. I don't know how many of you know anything about hogs. 
any of you grow up in farm territory, you don't want to be in a weakened condition hanging around hogs. It's dangerous. And, and so basically the guy hires him, doesn't pay him enough for him to eat and says, you go be with the hogs, you Jewish kid. What happened to all the friends that were there at the parties, right? <laughs> we do find out who our friends are and who they're not when things go wrong. But then he came to himself. I love that phrase. He came to himself. Okay. What am I doing with my life? And then he, he thinks about his father's house. And I like he comes up with a speech. Okay, so you have a lot of time when you're hanging out with pigs to think about what you're going to say, right? If you're going to try to come back, okay. I can even see him giving a speech to the pigs, right? The pigs are looking at him thinking, you turn your back, you're going to be lunch, right? All right. But he practices his speech. Now, I'm not sure this is repentance. Matter of fact, I'm pretty sure it's not repentance. It's more like a survival move, right? I'm dying here among the pigs. And he's still a bit of a hustler. Right? Because he practices his speech. But it's a move in the right direction. You think about your own story. We, we tend to come incrementally to God, right? Or think about the people in our lives who have been lost and broken. You know, it's hard to be patient. But, but salvation often comes in stages. Now, he's coming back up the road, and before he even gets home, his father sees him, all right? And his father runs out and embraces him and is, is, is so happy to see his son. Now, you could have expected the father to say, all right, let's talk a little bit before you come in home. How are things going to be different this time? We're going to do a little tough love here, boy. That may be how humans navigate things, but God's love is messy. God's love is disinterested. God's love has no memory of the wrongs that have been committed. Now, in a small traditional village, it would have been quite legitimate for this young man to be killed as an honor killing. We still hear about those horrible things that happen, right? But customarily, it would have been quite legitimate for his cousins, his uncles, to have killed him because he dishonored this man, he dishonored his family, he dishonored his name, he dishonored his father, he dishonored all of us. And you need to pay for what you have done wrong. But all thought of any kind of honor retribution is wiped away because the person harmed throws a party. And it's interesting 
What's really clear here is the younger son still doesn't have any idea whose father really is. I think one of the more, I find it more sad than anything else is how so many people who believe in God still haven't understood the depths of God's love and forgiveness and mercy. Let's move on. So they have a party. Now the elder son was in the field and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves, asked him, what's going on? Your brother has come home and your father has killed a fatted calf because he has got him back safe. And he became angry and he refused to go in. And his father came out and pleaded with him. The younger son shamed the father with his leaving. But it's the older son's turn now to shame the father. If you're holding a party in a traditional Middle Eastern society at this time, the mater d', if you would, or the one who makes sure everybody's having a good time would be the second in line. The older son's job was to get in there and make sure the guests are being taken care of. That was the older son's job. So if it didn't matter what was going on as he was coming, oh, there's a party. I need to get in there and help out. Instead, he makes his father come out and beg him to come in. Once again, this father is shamed at the hands of his children. Just to remind you, every Christian who's ever lived, including you and me, we all, to one extent or the other, hurt the reputation of God. It's one of the reasons I don't put any clergy bumper stickers on my car. I don't want anyone to judge God by the way I drive. And the the crazy thing about that is we as Christians are really good at pointing at the hypocrites among us, right? Those people. God doesn't seem to mind. God doesn't seem to mind. And then the, the older son speaks. By the way, when the, remember when the father gave the best robe, the ring, and all the great stuff to the, the younger brother? Who did that stuff ultimately belong to? The older brother, right? So his father's pleading with me. He says, listen, for all these years I've been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But this son of yours knows it's not his brother. Right? I've disowned him. I am not my brother's keeper. Does that sound familiar? Right? This son of yours, who used your property for prostitutes, 
So obviously the older son's been imagining what the younger son's been up to, right? And killed the fatted calf. Now, I've been working like a slave for you. I'm not doubting this hard work, but who was he really working for? Who's the only heir left? Right? And this is the trouble with self-righteousness or feeling self-important. Right? See, a gift is given without any thought of return. Living a life that's pleasing to God is its own reward. Everything else is transactional. And I love the father's response, right? (laughs) Everything was yours. You never asked for anything. But your brother, who was dead, is now alive. Frederick Beekner, of blessed memory, says this. If you have never known the power of God's love, then maybe it's because you have never asked to know it. I mean, really asked, expecting an answer. See, why it's important to call this the parable of the two brothers is that for the most part, those of us who are good churchgoers and good citizens, we have a lot more in common with the older brother than the younger one. Now, I'm sure we all have our prodigal parts, right? But the danger of being a religious person is to develop this attitude of the older brother. To judge your worth to God or to the world based on how much better you're doing than other people. To kind of expect God to reward you. Quid pro quo. All right, I'll do a little good stuff. You come back at me, God. We live our dutiful lives. We work hard. We achieve. We try to do the right thing. But inside us, there's all this potential of resentment or rage that's ready to be unleashed when the inevitable disappointment or perceived slight happens. Does the older brother love the father more than the prodigal? Perhaps, but it's not unconditional love. It's not a love that's detached from what's in it for him. You know the great thing about this story? We don't know how it ends. Just like your story, just like my story. Both sons are lost. But in the face of the extravagant love of God, they can be found. The same is true for you and everyone else and myself. Thomas Merton. But the person who is not afraid to admit everything that they see to be wrong with themselves and yet recognize that they may be the object of God's love precisely because of their shortcomings. When you can see this, you can begin to be sincere. A person's sincerity is based on confidence, not in their own illusions about themselves. See, that's what, let me just say this. That's what everything is selling 
everybody out there. If you just get yourself together, if you think right about yourself, you are positive or whatever you want to say. If you can become a living TED Talk, you're going to be awesome. That may be as dangerous a lie as anything our society is selling us. Not that taking care of yourself isn't important. Not that getting good care for your mind, body, and soul. But this is, what's, this is the mystery of the universe. It's precisely in your shortcomings that God's love meets you. Mern goes on. Your, the sincer, your sincerity is based on confidence, not in your own illusions about yourself, but in the endless unfailing mercy of God. You can be lost and never go anywhere. And you can run to the ends of the earth metaphorically, but just like the runaway bunny, when you get there, God will be waiting to welcome you home. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's continue our worship by giving to God our gifts, our tithes, and our offerings.